Hey, Obsassanacs, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassanac Files. Today we're going to be discussing Season 3, Episode 7, Creme de Menthe. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassanac Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many, many more. Also, if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you head over to Facebook and Instagram to like and follow for all of the latest and greatest news on the Sassanac Files, as well as Outlander Season 6, all the projects that our favorite cast are up to, and a little bit of news on Diana Gabaldon's newest book, Go Tell the Bees That I'm Gone, which, fingers crossed, is going to be out in the near future, but for those of you like me that have been waiting a while, we know it'll happen when it happens. So uh, like I said, head on over to Facebook and Instagram if you would like all of the deets on those things. Right now on Facebook, we are currently working on our buy rounds for our season five best episode bracket. So if you would like a say so in who gets a pass for the first round of voting, please head on over to Facebook and cast your votes there. Also, due to some recent issues I've had on my Facebook page for the Sassanac Files, I have transitioned to only doing my live events via a private group. So if you would like to participate in live podcast events like the ones that Rebecca and I have done in the past, please head over to Facebook and request to join TSF Obsassanacs so that you can have access to all of those fun live events. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into my analysis of 307 Creme de Menthe. always gets a rap as the worst episode of Outlander ever. (laughs) I have a tendency to agree with that statement. In fact, I think in the very first episode of the Sassanac Files, I said this one was what I deemed to be the worst episode of Outlander, but I also mentioned the Fox's Lair. So from here on out, guys, I promise it's going to be mostly sunshine and roses (laughs) because we've got the worst two out of the way. At least I hope so, hoping that season six doesn't have any bad eggs. But yeah, there were quite a few things that just really rubbed me the wrong way about this episode. Honestly, I think it has a lot to do with the writer. I'm not really a huge fan of Karen Campbell, and she wrote this episode along with a couple others that I wasn't super crazy about. I kind of feel like she just doesn't embody the characters of Outlander, if that makes sense. They just don't quite feel like Jamie and Claire and Ian and, you know, there's just a little something something that's missing from these episodes. And honestly, I do think it all comes down to the writing. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of super great things about this episode and I'm going to talk about them because I really am fond of quite a few scenes but there's more that I'm not fond of in this episode than I am I guess is what I'm trying to say. So me being kind of the optimist I am I suppose I'm going to talk about all the things that I really liked about this episode 
going to sprinkle in some of the things that I didn't like about this episode, but I'm going to really try not to go on and on and on about (laughs) everything (laughs) that I hate because I really don't want this to be an hour long bitch fest. So let's talk about something super cool, which is Fergus and Ian's relationship. And it makes total sense, right? That they have this bromance, brotherly love thing going on. They did grow up together. I mean, Fergus was basically raised by Ian and Jenny for a good portion of his life because Jamie was in prison. So he grew up at Lollybrock with the Murray children, and I'm sure that Ian just absolutely idolized him. You can kind of see that in this episode, which I really do love. John Bell does such a great job as Ian. He has this naive, young air to him, but then also lends the gravity to Ian that we need in later seasons. So I really do think that it was a good casting. He's not at all what I expected. On the other hand, Cesar Domboy also does a fantastic job as Fergus. And let me tell you, when you hold up a picture of Cesar and Roman together, Roman being the younger Fergus that we had in the beginning part of season three and season two as well, they actually really do look alike, like a lot. It's kind of creepy. (laughs) But that's one thing that I have come to appreciate so much about Outlander is their casting department is top notch. Also think that they did a great job casting David Barry as John Gray, along with the younger version of John Gray that we had. And I don't know the actor's name, but I felt like they did a great job there as well. So Fergus and Ian, this is one of those things like I really, really do appreciate these scenes that we have. Fergus has clearly taken Ian under his wing. I really adored the scene where Ian's just strutting his stuff, selling the liquor. And then after they do what they set out to do, Ian kind of just asks Fergus, do you remember Auntie Claire at all? And Fergus tells him, you know, I was really young when I knew her, but this is what I do remember. And he remembers Claire being this heroic woman, almost this superhuman being that saved all these men's lives and You got to think for the 18th century, like she really must have seemed that way, like just almost supernatural in her abilities to heal people just based on the knowledge that she had prior to medical school. So I found that extremely interesting that he also blends that with her reputation as La Dame Blanche, you know, that he's like, yeah, she saved all these lives, but she also had a reputation like there were rumors that she took a few as well. And that she's not a lady you want to cross. And I love that Ian is so intuitive and sensitive in this way that he's like, well, I have a feeling if Auntie Claire took a few lives, like they deserved it. And I'm not sure if this is more so because he idolizes Jamie so much that he can't see Jamie being with a woman that just kills people for the hell of it. But also, I think he can see how much Jamie cares about Claire. So I I really just love that he's already in her corner in this moment. (laughs) And it's so interesting to see them move into the tavern scene where Fergus is essentially setting Ian up for 
losing his virginity, which is one of the storylines that I really didn't care for. And I know it came out of the books and I know that it sets up what happens later on in the season with Galus, but man alive, like I just, it really, I don't know if disconcerted is the right word, but it really just pulled me from the plot. I could not connect on any level with this storyline. And I really felt that the scene was just awkwardly timed. I feel like it was almost the writing in it for some reason. Um, Because, I mean, I didn't mind it when I was reading it in the books, but yeah, it's just a little, a little funky. So I'm not really sure what could have been done. I hate complaining when I don't have a remedy for something, but um, that's one of those things that I just wasn't super crazy about in this episode. Something that I did really like was that they pulled Ian, like old Ian, I guess. You got young Ian and old Ian. They pulled um, Ian in for this episode, kind of dipped our toes back into the world of Lollybrock because we are in for a doozy next week. So I guess we're just literally sticking our finger in to see if the water's warm. (laughs) I love Stephen Cree. I love his portrayal of Ian. I love that he got so emotional when he saw Claire and he's saying, you know, we grieved over you for years. Like, where have you been? That really gets me on a level to see that he and Jenny cared about Claire as much as she cared about them. And that it really, it does suck. Like, I understand why they're upset because in their eyes, like, where where has she been? Why didn't she reach out? Like, clearly they didn't mean that much to her, and that sucks. So, I mean, as much as I appreciate Ian getting to see Claire again, really, the his entire presence in Edinburgh is just a device to move the plot along. We're learning more and more about Jamie. When Claire and Jamie met again in A. Malcolm, it was this romanticized reunion that we all longed for like we knew they were still deeply in love with each other and that their reunion was going to be something special but I think a lot of honestly um and this is gonna sound kind of bad but I think what a lot of people don't like about this episode is how awkward and clunky it feels but quite frankly it's supposed to feel that way. Like Jamie and Claire are not, like Jamie said, they're not the same people that they were when they parted 20 years ago. It's gonna have some bumps in the road. It's not gonna be all smooth sailing. And I think that's what this episode and the next episode are all about is them learning what has changed with each other, how they're different, how they're the same. And believe me, like they are plenty different. And I think that Ian's presence in this episode really exacerbates the differences in Jamie. He's not at all the same person that he was. And Claire is seeing that with abundant clarity at this point. He's lying to his family. He's making false promises. He's got this level of deception to him that she doesn't quite understand. It doesn't mesh with who he was as a person when she knew him back two decades ago. It is very interesting. And then to see the changes to Claire as well, 
Claire has always been an incredibly passionate person. That's part of her character. That's just who she is. But now that she's become a surgeon, there's a whole other level to her. She works extremely hard to be the best in her field. I mean, she's a woman in the medical field in the 1960s. Those people were few and far between, and she knows she has to work twice as hard as the man standing next to her to even be considered worthy of her title as a surgeon, which sucks, but it's just the way that it was and often still is. But what's really interesting is to see how that work ethic has molded who she is now. Because she has trained herself for the past 14 years of her life to provide medical care to whoever needs it, no matter what, no matter who they are or what they've done. And I think that I'm right there with most of the viewers in that I struggle to see how she could care so much about this man who tried to rape and kill her. But at the same time, if you look underneath, it's just ingrained in her. It's who she is. It's who she's trained herself to be. No matter what's happened, he needs help and she's going to help him. And I think that that's something that Jamie struggles with an incredible amount because he, like us, is like, this guy just tried to kill you. Like, let him die. Who cares? You know, he, the world's better off without him. And that's, that's a disconnect for them. Claire is seeing someone who is not as compassionate as the person that she remembers and that isn't willing to let her be herself. He's kind of trying to smother her a little bit, I think, is how she feels. Whereas Jamie's just completely confused because, like, how could she fight to save the life of a man who is violent and crooked I I get both sides of it in a lot of ways. I really do. So when the man dies, Claire has a visceral emotional reaction to it. She's very upset. And Jamie doesn't, like, he can't make it click in his head why she feels the way that she feels. And then she, when she voices, you know, look, I work extremely hard to be the best in my field And I don't lose patience very often. The moment he became injured, he ceased to be someone who was trying to hurt her. He was just somebody who needed her help. And that line between doctor and patient is sacred in a way. She was working as hard as she could, fighting the good fight to help him survive. And when her capabilities aren't enough to save someone... That really is a knife to the gut for her. She wants to be able to save everyone. And I think that's a common thing for doctors to feel like they work extremely hard to be able to save as many people as they can. And the few that they can't save, that's tragic to them. They feel that. And as much as they want to shut it all out and be cold and just do their job, it's it's human to have these emotions. And I think that Katrina did a really great job of portraying that. Like I said, this is one of those moments that as a viewer, it's it's one of the things that I don't really care about in this episode. First off, that they even had him threaten to rape her. I don't like the word or the term rapey, 
But this was one of those moments that I felt it was a bit gratuitous in the show. So I will throw that in there. There's not not very many moments in Outlander that I feel like it was just overdone. But this particular moment was one that I thought it it was a bit too much. So that coupled with her being so adamant to save a man that is clearly not not willing to do her any favors really just kind of rubs me the wrong way, I guess. It doesn't help the case of this episode in my book. And coming on the heels of that whole scene, Jamie spends a good deal of time trying to get rid of Sir Percival. This guy really irritates me. And he and he's meant to. It's not anything that like the actor's just annoying. Like, no, it's the character and it's supposed to be that way. And I love that we get to see a little bit more of the A. Malcolm persona in this episode. Because in so many of the episodes leading up to A. Malcolm and Creme de Menthe, we've seen Jamie go through so many different identities. You know, he's been McDoo, he's been the Dunbonnet, he's been Alex McKenzie. So, It's very interesting that in A. Malcolm, we just knew he was going by this alias and that he was a printer. But in Creme de Menthe, we see really what that alias is. He's a man who lives in a brothel. He has low moral standards, could possibly be in a relationship with Madame Jean based on kind of how buddy-buddy he was being whenever he came downstairs with Madame Jean to meet Sir Percival Um, He's just clearly like a rake and a scoundrel there for a good time, not for a long time type thing. Very much in the sphere of being a criminal and playing into the stereotype that Sir Percival has in his head. And I think that while Madame Jean knows that Jamie isn't really this person, I don't think that she knows who he really is. And I think that's a line that is even blurred for Claire a lot, to be honest. She's seeing Jamie doing all of these things and saying all of these things and wondering, you know, how much of it is a facade and how much of it is real? Like, how much has he truly changed over the course of this 20 years apart? And can she deal with all the changes? It's a great question and one that we... (laughs) don't ever really get the answer to. I mean, we do, but it's never a conversation that's actually had on screen, which is incredibly interesting. I thought Sam did a great job. There's just this twinkle in his eye when he's role-playing as a Malcolm. And I love that he's just almost got this arrogant air to him when they're downstairs like in the brothel parlor or whatever and he's like oh please have a look around oh here for a midday romp so it that's something that I hadn't ever really paid attention to in this episode before but I really did catch it this time and it kind of brought a smile to my face it must be so fun for Sam to play such different roles like he's Jamie but He's these all these different versions of Jamie. So I'm sure it was a good time for him to play out all of these complex situations that Jamie has in the first half of season three. Whenever Jamie gets back upstairs from the search with Sir Percival and his lackey, 
Claire's lost her patient and, you know, they're really struggling to find a connection. And I think that this above anything is what saves the episode for me in that despite the disconnect between Jamie and Claire, Jamie is desperate to try to find a way to connect with Claire again. And you can really tell in the way that Sam played this episode that Jamie is just terrified that Claire is going to walk out and leave again. He is so insecure about losing her that you just see it in his eyes. Like he will tell her anything she wants to be told because he can't risk the collateral damage of all of it. I think he just is under the impression that any little thing is going to set her off. And especially when he sees the grief that she has over this man that has just died, he tries to comfort her, but he doesn't really understand the situation. And what it all boils down to is that he loves her and he realizes that she's changed and he realizes that he's changed, but he cares deeply about her. And when she says, I'm so sorry, like I've come here and I've threatened your life and your livelihood. And he says this line and it's my quote of the episode because it's just a, it's so Jamie and B, it really gets to the heart of the issue of this episode. So Jamie says, Sassanac, you came thousands of miles and 200 years to find me. I'm grateful you're here, no matter the cost. I would give up everything I have for us to be together again. Don't you see? Since you left, I've been living in the shadows. And then you walked into the print shop and it was as if the sun returned and cast out the darkness. First off, love the callback to the wedding. I had never caught this one before either. So there's this famous quote from the wedding episode that was actually a Claire line in the book that got switched to a Jamie line where Jamie says it was as if I stepped outside on a cloudy day and the sun came out whenever Claire came to the church. And so when she left, the sun went away and it's been 20 years of clouds. And then she came back and the sun came out again. And it's this romantic metaphor that's extended across three seasons of this show. And I love, I love that. But quite frankly, like he's just telling her, he's saying, you're everything to me. And you were everything to me when we got married and you are to me still. I don't care if I'm put in danger by you being here. I would risk everything to keep you by my side. And we see that compounded over and over again over the course of this season. Like it just gets deeper and deeper levels of crap. And they're still hanging in there because they love each other. And there are lots of obstacles that they face in getting to know one another again and learning to be around each other and getting comfortable with the people that they've become. But more than anything, they love each other and they're willing to fight for what they have. So it's the most beautiful part of their relationship, to be honest. And I think it's what people love so much about Jamie and Claire is the lengths that they're willing to go to fight for their love and their relationship and their family. So yes, I had to mention it. I had to mention that quote. It is probably one of the best parts of this episode. But on the other hand, 
The other best part of this episode was the argument that Jamie and Claire have. Because this takes 20 years of frustration on Jamie's part and the complete dumbfoundedness of Claire trying to reconcile the man she knew with the man that's standing in front of her and mashing it together with this relentless butting of heads because Jamie is lying to Ian about where his son, young Ian, is. It's so weird because you can see the Jamie that we all know and love from the first two seasons. You can see him in there. But there's all of these secrets that he's hiding and these deceptions that he's playing at. And I can see Claire's confusion because she's trying to piece it all together and she's obviously missing some information. Like, she knows that. There are things about him that she doesn't know and that he's not willing to share with her. To give Jamie credit, he did try to tell her at the end of A Malcolm, and she said, we don't need to rush it. It's okay. So now it's kind of too late, honestly. Like, when is there ever a good time to tell your wife that you married someone else, let alone that you married her worst enemy? I know that's a topic for next week, so we will definitely save it for next week. But Really, the clock has run out. The grace period has expired on this news. And it's like Ian said, you know, that's not something you want to hold on to. And if you're waiting for the perfect time, you're probably going to be waiting forever. (laughs) So, yeah, I think Jamie is really between a rock and a hard place. And while he's optimistic that it's going to be okay, obviously there is some part of him deep down that is like, yeah, this isn't going to end well. There's all kinds of frustration built up on both ends. And when Claire comes back from treating Miss Campbell, she says, you know, Jamie, like, I just really don't want to be living in the brothel. And maybe I can make some money. You know, we could afford a a place of our own. We can make a life together here in Edinburgh. I'm game for that. You know, I just don't want to live in the brothel. And Jamie's like, but we have everything we need here and we don't have to pay rent. He's comfortable where he's at. But you can also see that tendency in Jamie to give Claire whatever she wants. He wants her to have everything, whatever her heart desires. But he is finally at a place where he's making money. He's in a profitable situation and he can send money back to Jenny and Ian to run Lollybrock. He feels like he's meeting his responsibilities for the first time in decades. And that's got to be really hard for him to give up, if you think about it. He's got financial security for the first time. He spent, what, seven years or something like that on the run, and then he was arrested, and he was in prison for a long time, and then he was an indentured servant, And he just, he was able to send some money back as an indentured servant, but it wasn't much. And so now he's finally able to take care of his family. And just when he's feeling comfortable with who he is and his situation, Claire comes back. And she's thrown for a loop because the man that she had in her head that Jamie was would never have been okay with the situation that Jamie is in at the moment. Like he stood on the moral high ground and now... It's kind of like Jamie's settling for, I hesitate to say, the easy path, 
But it's definitely the path of least resistance. Like, Jamie has a tendency to lean towards outlawry. (laughs) And I don't think that comes as a surprise to anyone because, I mean, look at where Jamie was when he and Claire met. I mean, he was on the run. He was a fugitive. He had a price on his head. That's how Jamie is comfortable living, but it's not how he's comfortable living when he has his family to take care of. And so when Claire comes back and suggests that they move out of the brothel and she's suggesting all of these changes to be made, then after Ian leaves, she's even more confused because now Jamie doesn't want to leave the brothel. He doesn't want to have a home with Claire. He's lying to his family about where young Ian is and that he's helping with the smuggling business. She's 10,000 level confused, okay? And whenever she brings it up to Jamie, he's just like, you don't understand. They don't know what's best for him. I do. And the words that set Jamie off is, you're not the boy's father, Jamie. This isn't about the ways of the world. He ran away from home and they have a right to know where their son is. You have no idea what it's like to be a worried parent. Honestly, that was probably one of the lowest blows Claire could have given to Jamie. And I think she realizes it the minute he turns around because he says, you're right, I'm not his father. I'm Brianna's father. And for Claire to think that in that 20 year time period, Jamie just forgot that Bri existed, that he didn't go on loving her and worrying about her and hoping that she had a good life and wishing he could be there to shape the person that she was becoming... That was really just very hurtful to him, I think. It makes my heart hurt (laughs) to think about the impact of that statement on him because we know, especially as readers, we know how much Jamie wished he could have been part of Bree's life. And then we kind of get Jamie's frustration in all of this because he's like, I didn't have a say in how she was brought up or, you know, the things that she was allowed to do and the bikini, (laughs) which lends a little bit of humor to the situation, but not much. He says, well, her virtue wouldn't have been in danger if I had been her father. And Claire was like, seriously, you're living in a brothel, dude. I get their confusion, both of them. And Claire says later in this season, like, you know, I knew when I came back that we would have to get used to each other again. It's really true, and it is one of the biggest hurdles that Jamie and Claire have to overcome in this season. I think it makes complete and total sense. It's a very natural next step for where we started with this season and ended last season. But it also makes for some very slow-going episodes because the writers and the creators of the show take time to explore Jamie and Claire reacquainting themselves with each other again and almost growing back into the people that they were 20 years ago like yes they have more life experience and no they are not by any means the young people that they were but they are to some extent you know I drew the parallel in my dragonfly and amber episode that when Claire knelt down next to that stone at Culloden the mask came off and she was the young woman that she had been with Jamie That she'd always been that person in her heart. And I think that that's how Jamie feels to an extent as well. Because he's been hiding behind all of these fake names. But 
deep down, he's always been Claire's Jamie. That's who he is. And while he's struggling to get back to that person and to center himself in who he is, it's going to take a hot minute. It's not something that's going to happen overnight that he just snaps back to who he was. And he'll never completely be that person again that he was at the end of season two because he's been through a lot. He's been imprisoned. He went through the Battle of Culloden. He's got PTSD from that. You know, a lot has happened to poor Jamie, but he's trying. And I think that that's all you can ask. That's really all you can ask. So when we leave Creme de Menthe, the print shop is burning to ashes and Jamie is watching the life that he had built uh, full of financial stability and uh, a life as an upstanding citizen of Edinburgh go up in flames, which sucks. He's kind of watching his life slip away. And at the same time, he's got to take Claire and young Ian back to Lollybrock and confront the mess that he's left there with this wife that we don't know anything about, but we know she exists and we know that Claire doesn't know. So that's a surefire powder keg. And all of that will come to a climax next week when we talk about 308 First Wife. This week, I struggled a little bit on performance of the episode because like I said, Creme de Menthe is not a favorite episode of mine. But all in all, I think that Cesar Domboy did a great job as Fergus. I really just, I got that, that playful young boy that had grown up in a brothel, but that was also a very street smart young man who had been a pickpocket, but his under Jamie's wing grown into this sophisticated young man who's kind hearted and also playful and intelligent like just I really love the version of Fergus that Cesar brings to life so my performance of the episode goes to Cesar Donboy and with all of that out of the way I want to take a moment to read some of your thoughts on creme de menthe because as always I have opened up the floor to all of my lovely listeners out there on Facebook so First comment is from Regina Geisert. She says, I personally enjoy this episode. Is it the best? No, but it's not terrible or the worst either. I can understand the changes from the book in order to continue the story, but I guess that comes from being disappointed too many times by people incorporating something from the book, but changing it in such a way that it made no sense to the story when adapting it for TV or movies. I now view things like this as being related, but not the same. Kind of like siblings, sharing DNA, but being completely different, if that makes any sense. The Campbells are something else entirely. I couldn't stand the brother from the moment he was introduced. He just rubbed me the wrong way, and my initial instinct was right. Love the relationship between Fergus and young Ian. It's definitely a brotherly relationship. Yeah, the Campbells are something that I didn't really discuss that much, mainly because like, I know that they had to throw them in for effect because later on it wouldn't have made sense who they were and why they were important once we get to Jamaica. But honestly, it's one of those things that I don't feel like it was developed well. I don't know how they could have done it any differently. I'm, I mean, I'm sure there are ways. But yeah, it just felt really rough around the edges, the whole Campbell debacle. And the characters are slightly different from how they were in the books, which, I mean, as a rule of thumb, I don't really 
mind. As long as you adapt it well, I don't care if there are slight differences. I'm not a book purist, but I do feel like the adaptation of the Campbells could have been done a little bit better. The second comment is from Tamara Cox. She said, I don't like this writer's version of Dr. Claire. She wrote this episode in season four, Do No Harm. In both, Claire is hell-bent on saving someone's life, no matter the consequences. I just watched the whole series from beginning to end for the second time. This time, I watched it with my husband. Next time, I'll skip those scenes. They're just so out of Claire's character. She's a very good doctor who will fight for her patient's life, but she is also very practical. This man is a danger to her and people around her. Saving his life just means Jamie will have to kill him later to eliminate that danger. And Tamara, I'm going to skip the last bit of your comment just because we're trying to avoid spoilers for much later in the season for those of our listeners that have not watched through um, season five. So I do halfway agree with you. Like in the beginning of this episode, I said that the the healing Claire almost to an obsessive level is a bit disconcerting. It's a bit off-putting, but I do get it if you get into the headspace of Claire in that moment. I also think that it is very confusing for a lot of viewers because we couldn't personally put ourselves in that position and understand how she could just forget the fact that this guy just tried to rape and murder her like five seconds ago. So it is a bit jarring. I do get a bit of whiplash watching this part and I completely understand why you take issue with it. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think that it was out of character for Claire. I just think that it was something that a lot of people struggled to understand about her character. The third and final comment today is from Kathy Myers. She said, it's not my favorite episode. However, I liked the part where Jamie and Claire begin to show the hint of tension that is bubbling under the surface. The people they were to the people they are now and Ian reminding Jamie that he may not want to hold on to that kind of information of being currently married. Plus, Claire's tension regarding anyone questioning her motives to heal. She's been thrust back into old ways, then to watch Fergus and Ian navigate their brotherly friendship was nice. But the episode went too far on the psychic healing part. It felt forced. Yeah, the whole part with Margaret Campbell, that whole scene kind of... (laughs) I always am so tempted to fast forward through those scenes. Like I said, I get that we need this information for later on in the season. But at the same time, it really just feels super awkward and part of me is like, why do I care? (laughs) And I should never feel that way when I am watching a TV show. I should feel like every piece of it is vital and important to the plot and the story. And I'm really just, like I said, so tempted to fast forward through it every time I watch it, which is awful. I hate feeling that way. (laughs) I don't like it. I do feel like maybe it was a bit overdone in this episode. Maybe that's why I'm feeling it. Like it's not just that it's happening, like it's thrown in our face over and over again, I guess. So yeah, yeah, Kathy, maybe that's why I feel a bit awkward about this episode. Put it into perspective for me. Thank you. Alrighty, guys. Well, that about wraps up this episode of the Sassnack Files. Make sure to join me next week where I am discussing season three, episode eight, First Wife. This one's a goodie for me. I really, really like this episode. I think it might be my favorite episode of the back half of season three. Lots of tension, lots of drama, 
and I just love it. So can't wait to discuss it with you guys. Until next time, you guys stay safe out there and I will chat at you later. Have a good one, guys. Bye.